0: Um, Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me here. I think this is my fourth trip to Johannesburg. I only know South Africa through Johannesburg. I think it's a fantastically interesting city, and I use that word in a very specific way. Um, But you've turned the weather on in a way that I could never have imagined. I've just spoken to my husband. It's June in England, it's pouring with rain, it's quite foggy, it's cold, and the pollen count is high. So you've got everything that's bad about a British summer with nothing that's good. It's always slightly dangerous to talk about the BBC because you can always be accused of sort of not exactly boasting but being a bit complacent about your place in the media world and that's absolutely not what I intend to do. What I intend to do today is share with you some of the challenges we face um, and some of the ways we're trying to adapt to them. Some of them will be blindingly obvious to you. You know, I've listened to some of your radio. The discussion even this morning shows that. But some of the things you might find interesting, and they are only scraping the surface, so if you want to talk to me afterwards about anything, please feel free to do that. So let, there's me. So as you know, um, I hope that the UK I'm going to talk a bit about governance at the beginning, because people always think governance is important. You only need to know is unimportant and dull. You only have to look at the situation with SABC right now to know that governance is not unimportant or dull. It is actually the underpinnings of our existence. So, the BBC is funded by a license fee. That means that we don't ostensibly operate commercially at all within the UK. Um, And we are, um, in that sense, absolutely independent of government. And one of the ways we measure our independence as audiences see it, because audiences are the only people that count in this world. We're very lucky we don't have to serve advertisers, is our trust rating. And that's, um, you can see that trust and general impression of the BBC go hand in hand. So when we have had dips, like this little dip here, when one of our major presenters of the 60s, 70s and 80s was revealed to be a pedophile, our trust ratings dipped incredibly. They have gone up since. The high point was just before that, which was the London Olympics, when we probably did the most ambitious and successful programming we've ever done. So although that was a terrible moment and um, an incredible trauma for the organization, the thing that reassures us is our trust ratings have returned almost to the high of the Olympics. And if you go back a long way, we are more more trusted now than we were 15 years ago. And BBC News, I used to be director of BBC News, I ran news for eight years, remains by far the most trusted news source in the UK and I think the World Service is the most trusted news broadcaster in the free world, um, across the free world. But the fact is we never take trust for granted. Um, Without that we would not be relevant or worthy of that license fee which funds us. Um, And interestingly for us, support for the license fee, which is essentially a compulsory tax that everybody pays, be you rich or poor, has actually grown over the last decade. And this may be one of the reasons. You've had that one. Which is, over that period, we have offered people a huge number of increased services. And we've done that, frankly, through massive efficiency and some injection of extra funds. Um, So... In radio terms, we've grown significantly. So you're actually getting more for your money. That tax is delivering more for you. And I don't know if Tom would agree with that, but if you can demonstrate to people they're getting more value from the same amount of money, they tend to be more sympathetic to you. Um, The license fee is £145.50 a year. That's about, I think, depending on the exchange rate, and as you know, we've been going through bumpy times with the exchange rate, about 3,000 rand. Um, And that's a lot of money in this country, but compared to, for example, a subscription to Sky, which is about 600 pounds a year, people see that as very good value. The difference is, of course, if you have a television in the UK, you have to pay the license fee. Sky is a voluntary subscription. But nevertheless, despite the compulsory nature of the license fee, 97% of the population use the BBC every week, and they have tons of choice. So this is not because you've got a monopoly any longer. We haven't had a monopoly for many, many years. Um, But the fact of the license fee and the fact of the BBC as a market intervention means that we are always... Uh, subject to charter renewal negotiations. All public service broadcasters, by and large, have something that enshrines their rights and responsibilities. And ours is a royal charter, and it's just come up for renewal. And it's not been an easy process, let me tell you. When SABC talks about Um, or some people in SABC talk about the over-influence of politicians. In the UK, that influence is felt most strongly when charter renewal happens, inevitably. Um, In radio, much of that debate has been about how distinctive our content is compared to the commercial sector. We've tracked our distinctiveness for years because it's very important, and we genuinely feel we can demonstrate that our stations are definitely different To commercial radio but it's a very very hot topic Um, commercial radio feel very powerfully that we must do things to make us more unpopular to help their cause and that's quite tricky because it would actually mean we had to stop doing things which we know our audiences love Um, the best example of this is Radio 2 it's the biggest radio station in Europe 15 million people listen to it in the UK every week It is highly distinctive. It discusses philosophy at lunchtime. It has the kinds of expertise, pop quizzes that no other commercial station does. It has a series of brilliant presenters, and there was pressure on us to make it less popular. And The only reason that those negotiating with us in government decided this was a bad idea was when we said, so how are you going to explain to our audiences that you want to take away from them things they really love. And at that point, the government negotiators backed off. Um, It's always been the case that we've always tried to make the good popular, and the popular good. Um, And inform, educate, and entertain still remain our bywords. They are not just flummery, they are enshrined in our charter, we are, as it were, tested on them, and they are incredibly important. Um, the review of our charter, I said, hasn't been straightforward, um, and the government's proposals for the future, our future are nearly finalized. Um, those of you who, who's heard here of Brexit? Okay. So Brexit has uh, really upset the apple cart for almost every institution and every politician. It is quite remarkable that it appears we've voted for something where nobody on either side appears to have had a plan for what happened if we voted Brexit. Um, And so we are very pleased we're as far as we are down the road with negotiating our charter, and we hope to get that charter signed off. But there are some things, very quickly, but there are some things that um, remain problematic for us. Probably the most problematic is about the nature of government influence on the unitary board, which will run the BBC. The BBC, in all its history, has always had a separate regulator and then an operational board on which I sit as director of radio. For the first time next year, we will have a unitary board, which means very boring title, but it means that this board will decide editorial things and editorial strategy as well as the the overarching strategy for the BBC. Um, The government is very keen to influence very directly the people who sit on that board. We are very keen as independent broadcasters that that influence from politicians is limited as far as possible. And this is not a party political point. We do not think that independent broadcasters working in the public service should have political interference. And we're still, as I say, in negotiation with the government about that. The charter means... We'll also need to find more savings, um, in addition to the many, many millions of pounds we've already cut over the last 10 years. I'm not pleading poverty, poverty. we're still incredibly well funded, but one of the biggest blows to us in our charter negotiation was, was when we were given responsibility for funding the free over 75 license fees. Now you will have noticed that anything connected to an aging population, first of all, makes a broadcaster an instrument of government policy, never a good idea. And secondly, you have a growing number of over 75s. So effectively, you have a growing bill that will be paid by a younger generation for an older generation's free consumption, and that money will come out of programs. So it's very, very controversial. The only offset we've had to that is that we will be allowed to change the policy at some point about free over 75 license fees Um, we've got a good plan for that i would only say taking things away from people particularly when they're free things is very very difficult as i'm sure everybody who's ever tried to do it will know so that's the sort of background for the bbc at the moment very very choppy waters not an easy time Um, i did a, a conference recently in europe and somebody said, but how can this be happening to the BBC? You are the mothership. Well, actually, the mothership is having to face some tough truths about the political moment that we are in. But of course, politics isn't the only thing we're all facing. The other thing that we're facing are audience changes, and that's where I think we can all start to connect and listen carefully to each other. So we're lucky. Um, Our figures remain remarkably high in the UK. Each week, our radio stations reach 35 million listeners across the UK. That's about 65% of the population. And on average, they listen to 15 and a half hours. The commercial radio sector in the UK, which is where I began my career, is also in Rude Health too. And we share an audience with them about 50-50. But there's always a but, isn't there? Let's see if we can get to the next slide. Time spent with radio in the UK um, is dropping. Um, Consumption is falling in terms of hours spent really quite dramatically. Um, So you can see that um, even something like Radio 4, which has our older and most stable audience, um, you know, Radio 4 is a speech network and it's probably unique in the world. Time spent has nevertheless fallen by 14%. I mean, it's not really surprising, and it's certainly not surprising, that the young are spending less time with what we call radio. If you've got choice, you use it. I mean, I myself, a passionate, loyal Radio 4 and Radio 3 listener and a great 6 music consumer, spend less time with the BBC than I've probably ever done because of those wretched podcasts that come over from all over the world. Um, And, um, you know, choice is a good thing. We should celebrate it. But it does give us many, many challenges. So that's one thing. Audiences have more choice, and they have more choice because, of course, the audio market is changing dramatically. The new players, Apple, Amazon, Google, and for us particularly, Spotify, are giving us a real run for our money. And although this might feel like a first-world problem, I think it's actually a challenge for every broadcaster in every country, in every part of the globe. So how are we responding to these challenges? Well, the first thing always when there's a big profound technological and structural tr- shift in consumption um, is not to panic. Um, I think there was a sort of, I once went to a meeting about um, audience figures where um, a colleague in commercial radio and I had a bit of a ding dong because he didn't want to, um, us to measure how audiences were consuming radio not from the radio. And that felt to me like someone putting their fingers in their ears and going, la, 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 I don't want to hear. You can't beat a structural shift. You have to ride it. And you have to ride it um, in all sorts of ways. There is not a single answer. To the colleague here who asked an excellent question about, they're watching us on Facebook, but how the hell do we get them to listen to the radio? We are genuinely all in these challenges together. Um, So we changed our strategy. Um, Radio for us is no longer about simply listening to content. It's about listen, watch, and share. And that's our little logo for all of that i mean it's an incredibly simple mantra it's kind of like inform educate and entertain listen watch share it acknowledges both the enduring importance of traditional listening and the need and it is a need to embrace new audience needs and new opportunities and not every audience has the same need for all aspects of our strategy so let's go to the young first because we all obsess about the young and we are right to because they are the gener- you know the listeners and consumers of the future radio one our youth strategy has been incredibly ambitious digitally for a long time they embraced this first when lots of people were saying no audience will ever want to watch things connected to a radio brand radio one already knew they had to do it um, the average age of the listener is 22. They want great music and DJs. They want images, comic video, live performance, and lots and lots of social media. They genuinely take our on air our content and make it work outside of the radio schedule. So one of the first things we did is we created, um, you can see here one of our pages, um, we created a YouTube channel. Um, It now has more than 3 million subscribers. Um, YouTube executives go around the world boasting about running one of the biggest radio stations on YouTube, and it's recognized by them and by others as the world's most watched radio station. It's got a combined audience of 7.5 million on social media across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We've also got our own BBC iPlayer, which is the BBC's catch-up service, and we put lots and lots of stuff that we put on YouTube there, because what we never want, and this is a lesson for history, is to have other people controlling access to our content. So we're thrilled to have YouTube, because we know lots of people there, but we want a BBC-owned access, because in the end, if you aren't the gatekeepers of your content, you haven't, if, if your gatekeeper decides, that's it, we no longer want to do what you want to do or we want to change your content, you're really stuck. So this, I hope, will be a Radio 1 video iPlayer promotional video. Can we play that? No. Sadly not. Well, there we go. It'll be on the iPlayer. Um, so Radio 1... This is, by the way, the Radio 1 entrance, and this is the crowd barriers because I think we had Beyonce coming in that day, and it is quite amazing how many people turn up for these things. Um, Radio 1 is proving that you can still bring audiences to radio, but only if you understand that for anyone under 25, radio is so much more than audio and needs to be available to them conveniently and digitally. But different audiences need different things from our strategy. So the Radio 2 audience. The Radio 2 audience, the average age is about 53. As I said, it's the biggest radio station in Europe. Um, It's embraced new technology in different ways because what works for the Radio 1 audience doesn't always work for them. This was an audience that initially was incredibly loath to use social media, Until social media became really mainstream, this is a very mainstream audience, so it wasn't interested. But now it absolutely um, is taking off. And this is a stream grab um, for a very successful thing we're doing called Sounds of the 80s. 80s music is really important to this audience. It's the music of their youth. And, you know, the power of cheap music is it takes you right back to your pleasure zones. And one of the things I think has been very striking so far this morning is how little we've talked about pleasure as a radio experience. And one of the things I love about my radio stations is that they're all about giving people pleasure. That doesn't mean to say we don't do incredibly serious debate, because for some people, serious debate is pleasurable. But for lots and lots of people, what they really want from us is pleasure. Um, Our speech stations, whose audiences tend to be a bit older, are increasingly creating short-form, snackable content online, like this from Radio 5 Live. Um, Radio 5 Live is our sports service, and it's done something really clever with audio, which it's created a short clip collection, which up to now has had about 25 million plays And what we've clocked about this, and this is something any of you can do, to the to the woman at the back in the glasses in the last session who said don't podcasts require a lot of extra effort. Actually, for quite modest amounts of effort, you can find the brilliant piece of audio from your news. You know, the time the politician confessed to being corrupt, the time the politician confessed to something else, the brilliant sports headline as the runners ran across the line or the goal goal was scored, and the commentary around it. is we've created clips of this and we've made them available digitally and they've been unbelievably popular they've grown as I said to 25 million um, 175 percent increase over last year and they're really shareable what we haven't cracked to your point over there was that A lot of people will use these clips and will listen when they're shared, but getting them back to listen to Radio 5 Live, we can't demonstrate that's happened yet. And it may be something that actually all of us are going to find very, very difficult. Um, Our most challenging um, conservative with a small c, uh, serendipitous... And Curious Audience is the one I used to be responsible for at Radio 4. They tend to be very, very resistant to changes in the schedule, particularly the older end. Um, But even they are building an appetite to um, enjoy and play short films online. So an example of this, and I don't know, will we be able to play the film? Because if we can't, it's slightly redundant. Let's try it. Let me click onto it. So this um, was um, a big series we did about a history of ideas. We're never less than ambitious in Radio 4. And this one was about technology and how it's changed us. So the series went out on radio, but before it went out, each episode, we did one of these little films. It was a great bit of branding, it was a great bit of marketing, and it was a great bit of shareable content. So I'm just going to see if this will work. Again, sadly not. I'm really sorry, because it was a marvelous little film. Um, The shareability of this is really important. Um, I think someone said on the panel, you've got to do things that share. Shareability is important, because it doesn't just give you trending material, which is great for your brand. If we get it right, we will, we hope, eventually get people back to the radio station, as you talked about. Most radio in the UK is still consumed overwhelmingly as live content, but we've made great developments in giving our content to audiences on demand so they can download and listen when it's convenient. Um, This is the iPlayer app. So this on your phone is called iPlayer. You can see the brands for all our radio stations there. Uh, For a long while, that app only allowed you to listen live, and that's actually quite expensive because it's a lot of um, IP that you're losing. But earlier this year, we actually allowed, uh, we got the technology that allowed you to download individual programs, not just speech programs, but music programs too. We got the rights, because of course we don't own music rights. Um, The app itself has been downloaded 10 million times, Um, and the download function, um, we launched it last year, And more than a million programs were downloaded in the first month, which if you're talking about untapped appetite for downloadable material is really good evidence of that. I mean, one newspaper columnist, and the newspapers tend to be quite hostile to the BBC, loved this so much he described it as literally life-changing. We're also doing something that um, television has been doing for some time, but it's really an experiment, which is that We're making some of our programs available online before they're actually broadcast, because we recognize that for some people, the habit of broadcasting is not one they have, but they still want our audio content. So we're we're seeing um, over time, and this is an experiment, whether if you put a great program with a fabulous presenter, and this is mostly speech programs, out there early, Will you increase your audience overall? It is perfectly possible that you will. A lot of program makers hate it because they simply assume that there will be fewer people coming to the program on air. But actually, we don't know that. In television, that is not what has happened. In television, it has often meant people will watch something for a second time or tell their friends to watch it because they've originally watched online. We don't know in audio if that's going to be... um, way although we we are seeing obviously an increase in online listening when we put those things out early podcasts remain hugely popular Um, we offer 450 strands across our networks and as i said earlier apple tell us our podcasts are most popular in their apps we mostly do not make programs specially as podcasts because at the moment we don't have the resource what we do do is we top and tail or aggregate our content, program content, as podcasts. So, one of our most popular Radio 4 podcasts is something called In Our Time, which sounds incredibly dull. It's incredibly popular and brilliant. It's a very brilliant um, presenter called Melvin Bragg, and they take a range of topics, one topic for 45 minutes, and they get the best brains in the country to debate that topic. So it could be Cicero, it could be Jane Eyre, it could be um, the Rivers of France, it could be anything. But because of the quality of the thinking and the articulacy of the people doing the chatting, um, it's a brilliant programme. It's very popular on air, it's an incredibly popular podcast. At the very end, the extra bit you get is just we keep in the recording of what happened after the microphones were switched off in the studio. So you get the jokes, you get the, well, I wish you hadn't said that. You get the humanity of the people coming through, and we know from our audiences they love all of that. Um, Alongside that, we're continuing to build out our DAB network. Uh, We've got about 97% of the UK covered, Um, although we're not gonna switch off FM yet because not enough audiences have it. If you're talking about cars, 29 million cars in the UK do not have DAB radios or actually access to digitally, except possibly in the way Tom was talking about in his session, which is the auxiliary jack. Um, I know that in South Africa, DAB Plus is being trialed, and I think you're the first country in the southern, the SADC, to be carrying out DAB Plus trials. Is that right? Um, in the UK, we've got two DAB Plus services just launched um, with the release of the second digital multiplex. We don't know how they're doing yet, it's too soon to say, but that was quite an advance for us. We're also working in the industry on hybrid radio, which is an innovation of new hybrid radio player that, app that's capable, as I said earlier, of switching between broadcast DAB and streaming. And on phones, we're working together as an industry to get DAB FM and IP because I agree with everyone here that the phone we build our lives around our phones wherever we are and actually people want cheap access to great audio and that may be one way of doing it. Um, We are trying to make listening a lot easier and innovating more around our content Um, but we and we think we're doing pretty well, but we can never rest on our laurels. So there's lots of things we're doing which haven't come to fruition yet, but might give you some thoughts about what you need to be doing with your services. This is less about content than about the services you give people, because we've learned that if you can't get to people in the first place, however brilliant your content, They're not going to be there. People don't come to content alone. So one of the first things we're trying to do is develop a new music discovery service from the BBC. Um, We're um, the most significant music broadcaster in the world. Um, It's our largest genre, music by volume, with over 40,000 hours of content a year. But we've got to get it to more people and get more credit. So we've created something called BBC Playlister, that allows listeners to create their own playlists or access those of the presenters they love best. And we've recently launched a BBC music app. We're developing a digital music proposal with the British music industry, which would make 50,000 tracks, the BBC broadcasts every month, available to listen online for a limited period. So what it would be, would be a free and limited Spotify with lots and lots of as it were, personalized content of your own and personalized by the presenters you adore. So when we lost Zane Lowe from Radio 1 to Apple and five of our producers at one fell swoop, it told us we were doing something that Apple didn't know, understand and wanted. So although those big players are very significant, they are also learning from us. Good radio is about relationships, and Zane is great at the relationships, although at the moment it looks like um, Apple Radio, Apple Beat, is not making significant inroads to audiences in the UK. Um, What we're trying to do is that um, we want to remain the trusted guide for music. We want to have the kinds of presenters that young and old trust to do their playlists, but we also want to give people more choice because that, in a way, is what spotify and the others do depending on your mood you can find a track or a series of tracks that you adore i think we will have trouble with commercial radio over that proposal i think they will see it as encroaching on their um, much more music focused approach but we think it's serving our audiences Um, we're also considering a new idea which is incredibly challenging technically, but we think we'll get there, which is basically personalized radio. So this is a rather dull diagram of how you might build your own personalized radio station From the elements that we use the reason we like this is that we know people want more people want two things at the moment they want personalization and they want shared experiences and this can give you the best of both we're starting with the idea that you could move effortlessly on connected devices within BBC output but over time we could see this being something that embraced partners and even competitors Um, it'll combine live and on-demand audio with music playlists and regular updates and it's it's going to be um, intuitive we will learn from what you've already chosen to make suggestions about what you might like next again you have to do that really intelligently Um, anyone who's been on Amazon and bought a book for a relative you know on something that you would never be interested in yourself, in my case, car mechanics, and then discovers that for a long while afterwards, car mechanic choices are offered to them. Know the difficulties of unintelligent recommendation. Um, In this one, it's intelligent recommendation, um, and if you don't like what it's playing, then you swipe left for an alternative. Tom's session was absolutely fascinating for those who weren't here, about how in cars, young commuters in the States if they don't like what they listen are listening to, and often this comes down to ads, within 15 seconds, they will move on. So you've got to have things that allow people to switch and change effortlessly, but you want to try and keep them switching to your kind of content. So that's one of the reasons that we're doing this. Um, all of these are keeping us really, really busy. Um, and... George Wright, a colleague, is going to be here um, tomorrow, and he'll talk about the work that the BBC's research and development team are doing to create innovative process within the production chain by using new technologies. Radio is brilliant for experimentation because it is, relative to other forms of media, cheap. It's not a cheap medium, but it's cheaper than, say, television. So it gives us lots and lots of chance for experimentation and i was going to end on something um, that i thought would be uplifting and content ridden but it looks to me like we're not going to be able to finish on that video i'm not sure why the blue bars in the video haven't worked in this room at all um but they're not basically it's a brilliant video that you may have seen on youtube it's from bbc music and it's the, the song god only knows by the beach boys sung by the best musicians in the world um and um, who gave their services for free um, because we were the BBC and they want music to be spread everywhere. I'm so sorry you can't see it because it is uplifting and inspiring. But that really, my point there was to say, everything we're doing is important because it's important to get content to people, but without good content, you can forget it. The two things go hand in hand and you do have to remember as you go forward that great content without the right distribution is a waste and distribution without great content is a bore. So that's my homily for this morning, and I'm very happy to take questions. There's usually a deathly silence when you say that. I do my best.
1: It's yeah, cool. me again. Sorry. That's
0: okay. <laughs> um, in terms of marketing versus TSL and programming versus, versus marketing, and um, I, I just used the example of BBC Radio 1 um, because we're trying to steal ideas from... Good. Um, quite right. The, the festival that you just had... Uh, One Big Weekend. Ha- yes. Yeah. Has attracted more um, of an international sort of audience than, than you would normally have. Um, how important is it... Uh, to, to focus your programming on your marketing and vice versa, in your opinion? Um, well, we mar- because we're public service, marketing follows programming. But with, um, with all our radio stations are brands, so the two are sort of interlinked. One of the things about Listen What Share was we needed to sharpen up what each of our brands was. It was a very good exercise for us. You know, within the BBC's public purposes, which we can't abandon, because, you know, we're funded by the public. It's not just vanity publishing this. Whoops lost that. Um, Radio 1 has always had a big international audience. Does that work if I hold it? It's always had a big international audience online. We do stuff in Ibiza, for example. We do club music in Ibiza, <coughs> some of which is broadcast in the UK, a lot of which is done um, without being broadcast. It is you know for an international market we also um, sell radio one compilations commercially so we're incredibly aware that we go from pure public service like our documentaries for young people through to quite a commercial end outside of the uk which our rules allow Um, but the marketing if you if you care about your audiences your marketing has to reflect the programming The thing we've got which makes us so lucky is we don't have to flog programs to advertisers first. We're not taking audiences to advertisers, and there's nothing wrong with that. I started in commercial radio. We're taking programs to audiences. So marketing that works has to be intimately connected to the programming. They're one and the same. If you'd been able to see the brilliant Radio 4 film, you would have seen how that worked. Uh, Thank you, Helen. Uh, Brilliant presentation, by the way. Thank you. Uh, This is not a question, it's actually just a little bit of information to the audience. Um, We've got a small display, um, as Helen mentioned, that we are running a DAB trial currently in South Africa. So we've got a small display next to the fireplace, just outside, uh, where we have got a couple of receivers, uh, DAB receivers unfortunately i cannot be there all the time because i'm just as interested as you are in all the presentations but uh, during the short breaks you can come and talk to me and then i'll give you some uh, explanation as to what we are doing and what those receivers are all about thank you for us dab in the bbc was a chance to innovate in content so we created radio one extra which is black music we created not just for black people but black music is incredibly big in the uk we created Asian Network, which is aimed at Asian audiences throughout the UK. We created Six Music, which I've talked about, and we created Five Live Sport, which allowed us to, uh, and and Four Extra, which actually I've forgotten, but I helped develop, I was controlled then, which is to use our Brilliant Archive. And those things drove the take up of DAB more than anything else. So again, use your technologies to allow you to innovate in content. France, the question. prof, question. the prof wants a question. say something more about how the personalized radio works? Well, it's in very early days, but the idea is that, um, so my husband, who had never listened to Radio 4 in his life till he met me, um, and then <laughs> pretended to like it, um, <laughs> um, loves aspects of it, but loathes others. And because it's on pretty regularly, even with DAB where you switch much more because you've got more choice, for him this would be ideal because his, his stations of choice are Radio 5 Live, the sports station, and Radio 3, the classical music station, and he loves some podcasts. So he would create online or in his phone that service for himself. But over time, as we got to know other choices that he liked... When he was listening to something that wasn't grabbing his attention, he'd be able to simply swipe left and something else that we think he would like would come up. We've been working a lot on personalisation for radio and telly over the last five years because we know that that's what people are going to want in all their media. They're also going to want the collective experiences. You know, we still get huge audiences for our big dramas on television. But those two things... It's a bit like I always think in human life, what people love is autonomy and intimacy. And if you translate that, autonomy allows you choice. Intimacy will be this, and then you'll also get your collective experience. So, so it's a mix of live... It, could be li- it will be live and, and downloaded, podcast or downloads. And at the moment, we have put just BBC stations in because initially... You'll be able to flick from the live programme on Radio 2 to what it, whichever other one you want. But over time, I can see us offering this as a partnership to other UK broadcasters and beyond. And the World Service will become part of it. I mean, it's, the brilliance of it, if we can pull it off, is it will appeal to older listeners as well as younger. And we've done it in terms of programme titles, but actually, you might do it around presenters you love. You know, our younger audiences tend to be much more presenter-led than program title-led. You could mix in a playlist. You could mix in a playlist. You could mix in your own playlist. Interestingly, what we've discovered with playlisting is some audiences love to create their own, and a lot really, really like the playlists of their favorite presenters. Mm. Because actually, it's that relationship again. Oh, he, Guy Garvey loves that music. Well, I'll try it. Something they would never have tried before, so it's a great journey of um exploration if you take the trusted guide and that's why in six music, we really get i mean guy garvey you know is um a, a well known musician in our world um we we get musicians to be presenters on that show because I think you were talking about sounds in the 60s, 70s and 80s and a great presenter. That gives credibility and authenticity to those music shows. So if they've got a playlist, it may not be your taste in music, but blimey, you're interested because they're interested and it might open up a whole new area of pleasure for you. Just remember that P word. Honestly, it's really, really important. And radio, for me, still delivers more pleasure per bang for the buck than any other medium. But, I mean, honestly, I'm the first person to use the word, and it's nearly lunchtime.